This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I visit with Asher Miller. Asher is a lawyer with a compliance specialty practicing in Tel Aviv, Israel. We take a look at the current compliance scene in Israel. We ask whether the message of anti-robbery and anti-corruption compliance programs resonate with businesses in Israel. We consider the lessons learned from the Goldman Sachs FCPA settlement and the Airbus International Anti-Corruption Settlement in Israel. Asher had one of the greatest compliance lines ever, which is, quote, like in poker, if you can't spot the fool around the table, it's probably you, end quote. We discuss that uh, line, and we take a look at the Teva FCPA settlement and how it was received by Israeli companies. It's a fascinating exploration of the current compliance scene in Israel. I know you will find it interesting and useful. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode. You're in for a real treat today because we have an Israeli lawyer. You are our second Israeli on this podcast, Asher. Uh, And uh, I should say uh, I have Asher Miller with me. So, Asher, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Hi, Tom. It's great to be here uh, from Tel Aviv, Israel. It's uh, 5.20 in the afternoon, and... uh, it's about to uh, be the weekend in Israel. So, um, Asher, uh, for those who follow the FCPA blog may recognize that that name. He has contributed to the commentary here, and he wrote a piece um, last year, and we connected. And so I asked him to, to come onto the podcast and really tell us about the compliance scene in Israel as he sees it. But, Asher, could you start off by telling us a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, sure, John. Um, well, I'm a lawyer for 25 years now. Uh, I started uh, with the defense industries more than 20 years ago with the Israeli aerospace uh, industries. And uh, then I did the tour of uh, five, six years in major uh, Israeli law firms in Tel Aviv. Did a lot of uh, finance, M&A, startup, uh, and high-tech work. Uh, that's where I gained most of my uh, commercial and uh, corporate experience. But then uh, went back to the defense industries. And in my last position, my last corporate position, I was the compliance officer for Israeli military industries. Uh, it used to be a big exporter, of big defense exporter in Israel. I say it used to be because it was acquired by Elbit, a bigger company, bigger defense company in Israel. And about three years ago, I started uh, my own law firm specializing on one hand in uh, regulatory and compliance issues, and on the other hand in uh, defense contracting, 
which is my specialty. And uh, with my team, uh, we deal with a couple dozen uh, Israeli exporters and companies from around the world. So um, I was wondering if you, well, it looks like to me from your professional background and a little bit of research I did, you've been on the forefront of the dangers of bribery and corruption for Israeli businesses for some time. And I guess the first question is, does that message now resonate with your clients or those of your potential clients and the business community in Israel? Well, it's, it's, it's a very interesting question, Tom. Uh, and, and things and circumstances are changing uh, each day. I mean, with the last, uh, the Abraham Accords with the United Arab Emirates and uh, Bahrain, and hopefully with Saudi Arabia and uh, other, comp- other uh, countries, uh, Israel is becoming more and more of a hub, or I would say a bridge between cultures and, and various parts of the world. So on one hand, we are, you know, the startup nation, have uh, more companies listed in in U.S. uh, stock exchanges than any other country in the world, including China and Europe. Uh, But on the other hand, in certain regulatory matters, including uh, enforcement uh, in in, in bribery or money laundering or uh, uh, related issues, we lag back, I would say, after the the U.S. uh, between five to ten years. So the great, uh, the the big... uh, trend of uh, compliance that I would say started uh, under the uh, Obama administration 10 or 12 years ago, and we're still experiencing it uh, right now, uh, got to Israel by a delay of uh, six to seven years. And compliance in Israel started in about 2010, when I started my position as compliance officer in uh, IMI. And uh, on one hand, things are... uh, uh, I mean, most of the companies in Israel know uh, of compliance and have compliance uh, uh, regimes uh, in place. But on the other hand, uh, I would say some companies don't know it yet or look at it as as a non-existent danger or a risk not worth defending against right now. So it's a very, I would say, an average point between strong enforcement on one hand, which is coming and many companies are aware of, and on the other hand, of uh, uh, companies or clients not knowing yet uh, what, what is the meaning of compliance for them. How would you assess the, uh, not the enforcement, but actually having compliance programs in place? Does that message resonate or does it really, is it driven by the amount of enforcements and companies see this as a risk that a compliance program can help them overcome? I think that uh, for, for Israeli companies right now, and this is the message uh, I give to my clients or potential companies or people that come to my lectures and webinars. Uh, and, and you know that, that, that if you have a great compliance program uh, in the closet, uh, in the cupboard, uh, it, it won't help you. The, the, the question is the implementation. The question is, do you do the field work? The question is, uh, do you do the day-to-day monitoring of your third parties, of your transactions? That's hard work. That's sometimes dirty work or unpleasant work, but you have to do it to ha- in order to have good compliance in your company. So some Israeli companies, even, even big ones, uh, publicly traded or, or conglomerates, have, I think, great compliance program. But the question is, what's the implementation? And that, I don't... For, for, Certain of, for, for many of them, I don't know. 
for some of them, I know they have good implementation, or at least my, for my clients, I know they have great implementation, or I know uh, that, that, that I saw it and it's good. Uh, and for some of them, I know uh, from, from, from my own knowledge that I saw that they don't have any good implementation and they think the compliance program will save them in, in, in judgment day and it simply won't. And this, if you ask me, um, uh, some of the Israeli companies, even the larger ones, are not aware of yet. So I was very intrigued by your remarks a little bit earlier about um, things changing almost by the day now. We've experienced that in the United States over the last four years from the Trump administration, certainly in the area of trade controls, um, sometimes twice a day. Uh, But you actually said things are opening up and that you see Israel now as a bridge to many other countries and other cultures um, and I have to say, I find that incredibly refreshing that it's it's not as negative as it's it's been here in the stage. But um, with those uh, opportunities, would seem to bring other challenges that uh, you've now had to think about. So, um, with things changing so quickly, how do you how do you uh, help clients understand that in in the dynamic environment you find yourself in now? Well, I think I'll start with the bottom line. Uh, as you know, as as, as we are uh, legal professionals. Uh, you help clients uh, by the day or by the crisis or by the time they call you at uh, 5 a.m. in the morning and, and need your advice. Uh, so, so you respond to the crisis or you respond to whatever happens. But more generally speaking and, and answering your question, Tom, um, I think really ch- opportunities and challenges are opening up. First of all, uh, in the U.S., I mean, hopefully uh, there will be the change of administration uh, on Wednesday. And, and a new president, uh, you don't know what's, what will be his position, and let's say, uh, China-wise, Europe-wise, Russia-wise, and, and will, will all the sanctions stay in place? Will all the trade barriers stay in place? Will the CFUs uh, strengthen or, or be more eased? We don't know that yet. Um, and in Israel right now, and that's I'm experiencing with, with many companies I'm talking with, um, the United States is not, not, not more seen as the only opportunity for doing major business like it was in the past. So if you're a startup, you're planning, your, your horizon will be the U.S. market, and that's it, and, that, and that's your exit strategy. And exit strategies these days include China on one hand for some Israeli companies, and Chinese investments in Israel are, are on the growth. Uh, you know, they have now uh, two of the major Ports in Israel, I would say the two major uh, seaports in Israel are now practically owned by Chinese companies. Yeah, I mean, uh, people would say that not that's not that a good idea, but I'm not the government, and, and I, I didn't do the tender. Yeah. But but that's a fact. And on on addition, in addition to that, uh, P, uh, uh, companies and big money from the Emirates, from the Arab Emirates, is also coming in. And Israel right now does not have. Uh, a, a very detailed response to that saying, okay, we don't want, we have our own CFUs, don't invest in that, don't do that, or there's a regulation. So, so trying to answer your question, uh, things are changing by the day. Regulation, of course, lags behind as usual. The, 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 uh, legal, the, the, the legal professionals are always, I mean, the, the lawmakers are, are lagging behind. 
And uh, but but business wise, right now it's it's buzzing. Everything is buzzing because all those new areas are opening. The United States will obviously have some changes in in the next coming month in uh, in uh, trade barriers and in sanctions and in uh, uh, other uh, um, things that were implemented in the past. And you don't know if they'll stay like that. <clears throat> so I think coming back to the answer. We are responding, and I'm responding in my firm to clients' needs on a day, day-to-day basis. I can't say I see the opening. I see the horizons obviously opening. Uh, I don't know what the changes are going to be in detail. I actually came across you, as I mentioned, because of your uh, writings in the FCPA blog. And you wrote about the Goldman Sachs settlement and the Airbus settlement. And so I wanted to maybe visit with you about those and start off with those were two of the largest settlements in the history of the world ever. And I think, at least in the United States, many compliance practitioners have trouble understanding or uh, synthesizing the lessons because the cases were so huge. So my first question is, uh, how do you help a compliance professional understand these lessons are actually applicable to you and your company, even though they're massive settlements from companies that engaged in bribery and corruption literally across the globe? That's a very good question, Tom, because uh, sometimes I have the case uh, uh, coming to uh, rather uh, smaller companies and they say, look, you're talking, uh, you're talking about compliance. That applies to Goldman Sachs, the Israeli aerospace industries, uh, major companies, may, uh, publicly traded companies. How does it apply to us? But uh, as we all know, as, as compliance professionals, these are the principles. And if you read thoroughly the DOJ papers, as I see you, you do uh, a lot, and when reading your pieces, you read them uh, letter by letter, uh, and I try to follow suit in, in what I read and write, you, see, you can see the guidelines, you can see the DOJ, and you can see the SEC professionals saying, actually, from the papers, you can understand that between the line and sale people, these are the principles. They apply the same for a 10-people company and a 10,000-people company. So so it goes the same. So the lessons are applicable to everyone. So I have to credit you with one of the greatest lines ever in compliance commentary, and I'm just going to read it because it's so great. Like in poker, if you can't spot the fool around the table, it's probably you. Uh, you wrote that in, in uh, connection with your piece on Goldman Sachs. So I wanted to really ask you, uh, what did you mean by that? Why did you use that line? Are you a poker player? Uh, so that you have some knowledge of that. And, and once again, that is just one of the greatest compliance lines ever. First, first, first of all, Tom, it's, it's a great compliment coming from you, the, the compliance guru, uh, saying that it's, that it's a great compliance piece. For me, uh, you saying that it's, it's really a big compliment. And, and I think, no, I, I'm not a poker player at all. I, I, I don't play cards at all. I play chess. Uh, and, and, and that's not similar, I think. Uh, but, it, but that's something that really came from my heart and from my, my uh, experience in being an in-house counsel for many years and a compliance officer for many years. And, you know, these positions, uh, you sometimes uh, stand in very tight situation, being pressured from various echelons of the companies to just leave the deal alone, onboard the the third party. Uh, don't don't hassle us. Don't bother us. Just do your work. Uh, don't come to our meetings. Don't come abroad with us to do the negotiations. 
and, and, and let's leave your opinion where it is. And that's a difference, uh, in my opinion, between sometimes sleeping very soundly at night in a company or just uh, or, or for, for its officers to face uh, jail time or indictments. Because uh, as my uh, first mentor in, in, in legal counsel uh, position said, uh, in a company, if you're, if you're a general counsel or legal counsel or compliance officer, you got to be the oil in the engine and not the barricade in front of the truck. If you're the barricade, you'll stay in your room, uh, you'll issue opinions, you'll send, like in the Goldman Sachs, you know, everything is quoted there. And also in the Deutsche Bank uh, uh, papers that came out uh, now. I mean, you 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 quoted it in, in one of your pieces that they actually send, the, they were sending emails sending, saying, do not onboard. We feel very uncomfortable with onboarding, onboarding uh, this third party or we don't really want these transactions, or we recommend. <clears throat> but, they didn't, but they didn't follow up. They didn't go to the meeting. They didn't go to the, to the hardcore places or to the board meeting or to the management meeting and say, we are not going to let this happen, or we are letting this happen on condition of one, two, three, four, five. And that's true compliance work. And that's what I meant by that, to say just being around the table and just saying, yeah, we think that this third party poses a, a, a problem to, to our company, and that's not doing a job of a compliance officer. Compliance officer has to be proactive, has to be very involved in the day-to-day uh, conversations and, and talks and the culture of the company. He, he's gotta be, he has to be a team player. He has to be part of the team. If he's not part of the team, he, he's obsolete, and that's so obvious from whatever we see, all we see in Goldman Sachs, in Airbus, uh, yet again in Deutsche Bank, and, and in many other cases. So now that I know you're a chess player, let me move to that game, because uh, I wanted to ask you about your corporate experience and then your experience in private practice. I'm a recovering trial lawyer before I went in-house in a corporation. And when I went in-house in a corporation, I discovered that the intellectual challenge was much greater than I had anticipated, particularly in the commercial world, for the following reason. You have multiple levels of law you would have to apply. So, for instance, in the United States, I'm in Houston, Texas. We'd have Texas law. We would have U.S. law. There would probably be U.S. regulation. If the contract was with an Israeli company, there would probably be an Israeli law component And then finally, there was corporate law or policies and procedures. And that the if you moved one piece, sometimes six moves down, you had to think about that. And um, was that sort of your experience in the corporate world uh, as well, that you would have to apply several different areas or even jurisdictions of law for a contract? And uh, not exactly, not exactly. No, although I I, I sympathize with your uh, with your hardship uh, uh, trying to to uh, cope with all the different uh, systems of law on your table. Uh, no, in Israel, although we go, of course, we we are uh, obligated. We are under Israeli law in everything. Uh, when I worked uh, as a corporate lawyer, we most of the time worked under uh, U.S. law, under U.S. and under New York law, New York or Delaware in, in many cases. 
uh, and in some cases California law, but that's more more rare. Uh, and most of the time we applied uh, U.S. and uh, and uh, New York law. And in every major uh, Israeli company, you have a couple of uh, uh, New York uh, admitted lawyers, and you can consult with them. How would that apply uh, under uh, U.S. corporate law or under uh, New York corporate law? And uh, of course, under Israeli law, corporate law, you know that. But I would like to say, <coughs> compliance-wise, I see sometimes Israeli companies making the mistake by trying to go American, like American is big, American is good, high-tech is American, let's go there. And as I said, things are changing now. Some some uh, companies are eyeing the Chinese market or, chi- or the, the uh, Emirates market or the European market or other markets. But some of them apply unnecessarily the FCPA uh, when they don't have to. Let's say they don't have uh, uh, any, any uh, uh, footprint in the United States. They don't have a subsidiary. They don't do business over there. Okay, they pay in dollars. Okay. But besides of that, they don't have any footprint in the U.S. And I saw companies that uh, uh, put in their compliance program, yes, we are obligated under various laws, including the OECD Convention, the Israeli law, and the FCPA. And I tell them, people, that's, that's, that's a basic jurisdiction issue. Don't bring the FCPA in unless you have to. If you'll have to, I mean, if, if you're publicly traded in the NASDAQ, there's no avoiding it. But it's like saying we are we are obligated by the UK Bribery Act because it's a nice law or it's it's good good against bribery. But you you will bring in the SFO to your front door uh, without be, being obliged to. So let me turn to the Tavis settlement. I think three years ago now that was a very large FCPA settlement. And how did was that settlement received uh, by Israeli companies or even by? Uh, lawyers such as yourself that practice in this area? Until today, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the biggest uh, corruption settlement for an Israeli company if you don't take into consideration the Siemens settlement because the Siemens settlement involves uh, companies in 12 countries. But in, for an Israeli company per se like Teva, uh, it was a big settlement. Uh, not, not that big. I mean, Teva will not be devastated by half a billion dollars payment, yeah? But it was, it was a big hit, and, and people and, and companies were a bit shocked by it. But as I said in the beginning, it didn't make the, this, this it, it didn't bring a tsunami. It, it didn't bring a, a trend of all companies being saying, okay, we got to now do thorough compliance uh, efforts in our companies. We got to change everything. We got to be very clean because... We are all under uh, uh, scrutiny of the, the American authorities. No, people like, you know, uh, in Israel you say, uh, it's a saying that uh, the news, yesterday news is no news today because things are changing so rapidly. So um, after a couple of weeks, people kind of uh, forgot, about it, forgot, forgot about it. And uh, also Teva is, is a very interesting example because Teva is, is entangled right now, I think, in five or six indictments or arrangement in in uh, in anti-bribery uh, in uh, in other issues in commercial issues in medical issues uh, it's it's a company that has 
in my opinion, a serious compliance problem right now. On one hand, and that I know in person, has great compliance people working in the company, but it seems that the company for the, the last five or 10 years uh, is, is going from trouble to trouble, in, uh, at least in the United States, but in other places as well, uh, in, in compliance program of various fields and issues. So, so something doesn't work over there. I mean, if the compliance is, is okay, so what does uh, a higher management do? Or if the management is not okay, so how does compliance uh, make for it? Um, so, so it's very interesting. But for the, for, the, for the settlement itself, I think people already forgot about it, about the Teva. We now have a, a new piece in the news. It's the Steinmetz uh, trial in Switzerland starting. And Steinmetz is, not poor, is no poor guy. He's a billionaire and a very successful uh, businessman. And, uh, you know, he was convicted in Romania a couple of weeks ago, uh, but he wasn't in Romania. So the Romanian government has no uh, uh, authority on him, has no possibility to enforce it on him. But in Switzerland, it's, it's a serious indictment, and it's regarding his business in uh, Guinea, in, uh, in Africa. Uh, and it remains to be seen. It's only the opening of the trial. So that's the big uh, uh, compliance uh, piece of news in Israel right now. So I followed that matter extensively over the years, uh, and I was very intrigued with his defense, which was, although it's my name on the company, I really have nothing to do with it. Uh, I'm just the ambassador. So uh, it was an interesting way for him to start out, um, given the a really interesting set of facts, and I'm following that uh, very care- uh, closely, so I'll probably start writing about that as well. Um, and I think that could be a tsunami if, if he's actually convicted. We rarely get convictions of anyone, at, one at that level, and two certainly at that level of wealth. Um, the uh, You wrote an article early on in the coronavirus health crisis entitled Corruption Compliance in COVID Times, What's the Exit Strategy?, and that was, uh, I think, about 10 months ago. And I was wondering, as we record this in early 2021, has your assessment changed or have r- simply risks changed that need a reassessment? Well, first of all, uh, we, we, I think we, everyone uh, is, is so surprised and so overwhelmed by the corona crisis because, you know, in the beginning, we thought, like everyone, it's going to take a couple of months. Uh, the world is going to, to sneeze it off. And, uh, and that's it. We'll come back. Nobody imagined that will be almost a year after, uh, after its commencement. And uh, we'll still uh, hear, we uh, I don't know what the situation in Houston uh, that I visited a couple of times, a great city. Uh, and you're most invited to Tel Aviv, uh, but, but not today because we are under lockdown. So I, I did not imagine that 10 months uh, later, I'll still be in lockdown. Uh, talking to you from my home office. But I think, and, and I read this piece uh, after we talked, uh, I read this piece again, and I think uh, my message over there has only strengthened because I see in some companies and in some business transactions that people and companies tend to really uh, bend their uh, uh, compliance mechanism in companies. They do onboarding faster than usual because, you know, it's an emergency and we got to save the company. So leave the due diligence a bit or uh, uh, leave the, the compliance requirements a bit 
and, and let's rush forward because we got to bring some profit to the company. Or they don't do anything by the letter or they don't follow exactly the compliance procedures. And what I urge companies over there, and I said, listen, although we are in a kind of stoppage, in, in international stoppage because of the corona, we see that most of the uh, enforcement authorities in the world, uh, mainly the DOJ, the FBI, the SEC, and, and others, including the Israeli authorities, are not in a stoppage. They're, they're still indict, they're indicting, they're arresting, they're confiscating assets. They do the same for them. It's, it's the same. So you will not be excused. The company will not be excused when saying, Look, listen, it was a corona time, so we didn't check. So maybe he bribed someone. Yeah, but uh, give us a break. It was corona time. The, 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 the authorities won't give you a break. So you better uh, really uh, uh, step up your compliance, even step up your compliance, because these are harsh times, and many people are many people are not in their position, and uh, people tend to to uh, take easily the, the, the compliance obligations of a company because it's not they say it's not the core obligation. The core obligation is to save the company and to bring revenues and to bring profits. Uh, uh, but but the thing is that if they will. Uh, forget their regulatory uh, obligations, they're going to face major problems after the crisis is over and maybe in the crisis itself. I mean, we see the United, we saw we saw the last uh, uh, settlements in the U.S. Uh, people in the authorities are working almost as usual, right? No, not almost as usual, absolutely as usual. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> so- exactly. Asher, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, your law practice, or the services you and your law firm provide, where could they go? Uh, first of all, you know, they can uh, go to our uh, company website. It's uh, www.compliance.co.il. Very easy. That's for compliance in Israel. Uh, I also have many articles uh, spread all over uh, they, they they can Google my name Asher Miller uh, on the web and and they'll get to it. But I think the the, the best uh, place to go is uh, on our site. And from time to time we send materials to uh, to our clients or to uh, companies we talk to. And I'll be delighted to answer uh, any question or inquiry. Uh, could they reach out to you on LinkedIn as well? Sure, sure, sure. You could get to my profile. It's uh, Asha Miller will do Asha Miller in Israel doing compliance. There's only one guy like me. Roger, uh, that's him. That's him. I wanted to thank you. This has been a fascinating visit, and uh, I hope that um, I might be able to call upon you again to continue this conversation. I know I'm going to want to talk to you about the Steinmetz trial, but uh, and the compliance scene in Israel. So I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, thank you so much, Tom. It's been. A pleasure and a privilege to be to be a guest in your uh, very uh, esteemed uh, uh, show, and I really hope that uh, uh, we could do another meeting very very soon again. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have any questions on this episode, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast in iTunes as would help us increase our rankings and expanding our listener base for the oldest podcast in compliance. If you have any questions you'd like explored on this podcast, please send them to me 
as well, or you can leave them on the Compliance Podcast Network. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you'll join us again next week where we take up another issue in FCPA and compliance. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.